Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for High Velocity Radio. Welcome to the High Velocity Radio Show, where we celebrate top performers producing better results in less time. Stone Payton here with you this afternoon. This is going to be a marvelous conversation. You guys are in for such a real treat. Please join me in welcoming to the broadcast with Symptom Evolution and Griffin. How are you? Oh, I'm awesome. It's been a great day. Thanks for having me on, Stone. Yeah, it's a delight to have you on the program. I, I think a great place to start might be if you could articulate for us mission, purpose, what uh, what you and your team are, are really out there trying to do for folks. Oh, same thing that you're trying to do. Better results in less time. So the work that I do, Symptom Evolution, refers to uh, a healthcare methodology. And this methodology is just a, a refinement of our question and answer or question asking during an history intake. Um, and it's also to identify really the root cause because it's it's one of the biggest uh, plagues in all of healthcare. And it doesn't matter what your stripe is, whether you're a physical therapist, an orthopedic surgeon, um, a massage therapist, it doesn't matter what flavor of healthcare practitioner you are. There's a lot of guesswork that goes into it with our current model that um, we don't really understand what's causing somebody's knee pain. We've kind of got a best guess. And so there's a lot of trial and error. And that alone is the number one drag on our gross domestic product is low back pain because we can't accurately identify what's actually causing someone's low back pain, much less fix it in a consistent or an efficient manner. And so that's the, uh, the problem that symptom set, uh, symptom evolution set out to solve is to have a much more accurate way of taking a history to get us a much more uh, accurate diagnosis and therefore guide a much more efficient uh, treatment progress moving forward. On average, even for very complex cases, we only treat somebody maybe two to four times and then their problem is expected to make a full resolution and not return. Wow, that is incredible. I, I guess I already knew or felt like I knew that you know, patients and doctors alike are, are probably very frustrated with the with the current healthcare climate, but I don't think I anticipated the uh, immediate and direct impact on economics, like the like the gross domestic product. That wow, that's alarming. Yeah, and unnecessary. We spend the most amount of mo- uh, money here in the United States on healthcare, and our outcomes are pretty mediocre. So, in admitting the emperor has no clothes, okay, what we were, what our, our working diagnosis or our premises that we were um, rendering our healthcare was based on, there's a glitch somewhere, and that is evidenced again by the inefficient or the ineffective care outcomes that we get. So for example, it's a completely acceptable course of care to see somebody 12 to 16 times in physical therapy, chiropractics, acupuncture, and it you expect to have that dosage of care before you start to expect results, number one, and two, you already expect the problem to return. There is something wrong with this picture. Yeah, <laughs> I'll say. Right? That's, you know, how many times do you need to bake a cookie, right? <laughs> you're doing it wrong. And that's not to disparage any of my wonderful colleagues out there in the field, um, but that there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a more efficient way because the frustration that's felt by patients um, when they see practitioner after practitioner and they can't figure out why they're in pain or the uh, uh, treatment 
the trials of treatments that they've had maybe rendered some uh, pretty mediocre outcomes. The problem still comes back or maybe at worst didn't have an effect at all or made them worse. The surgery didn't work. The surgery made them worse. The cortisone injection didn't work. The physical therapy didn't work. And those patients start to lose hope because their practitioners can't explain why they're still having symptoms. But to enlighten patients, us as practitioners, we all get into this field because we want to be of help. We want to be of service. And when our patients come back and say, doc, I'm worse. Doc, it didn't make a difference. Yeah, maybe I got a day of relief, but not more than that. We feel the frustration too. But on our side, to get curious about why that is, that's really where symptom evolution was born is because as my patients were coming back and I was really good at the work that I already knew how to do, but I was still only hitting maybe an 86% success rate. And I couldn't explain why two people with what I thought was the same knee pain, one would get better and I'd do the same thing for the other person and they wouldn't. Why? Why? And there's some patterns that started to show up. So I observed, for example, that when patients had more than three injuries, significant injuries or surgical events, and again, they're interchangeable, the more stuff that happened to somebody and somebody uh, to, to a person in someone's life, the less likely the work I already knew how to do was going to be effective. And I also noticed if somebody had a lot of dislocations and not any broken bones, the work I was going to do didn't work either. Just those kinds of things. So I started to do a lot of research and it really uh, started to come together that when A plus B equals C, well, then it follows logically that D plus C equals F and shoot, this goes all the way to Z. And when I started to apply the principles, I got amazing, miraculous, almost unbelievable results. And it just has to do with identifying some root causes that are not known by the healthcare profession at large yet. Um, so on a mission to really change how we see the body and up the standards of what we think is an acceptable outcome of care. I don't think okay is good enough. So then you find yourself beginning to educate other practitioners in this pursuit? Mm -hmm. Um, when I started to get some pretty amazing results, I was like, ah, okay, I'm on to something because when I got hundreds and hundreds of patient reports and patient, um, uh, outcomes that were just unbelievable, um, I took on three students. There were practitioners whom I knew locally and, um, it took about three months, um, to train them. And these poor, <laughs> these poor first students, <laughs> any visual aids. I didn't have any lecture notes. I just fire hosed them with information. But we ended up crafting uh, a course that is very digestible. The first level course is about 10 hours. It's all done online. Um, and as I saw these practitioners who then graduated, became certified in symptom evolution, not only understand what I was trying to tell them, but apply it. And they get the exact same amazing results. So this technique is reproducible, that I'm not special. It's just a few missing pieces of information that we lack as healthcare professionals to um, get the kind of uh, efficient and effective care that both the practitioner and the patient really want. You're so energetic. You're so enthusiastic. It comes through over the airwaves. You clearly find the work incredibly rewarding. What are you enjoying the, the most at, at this point in the evolution of this? Oh, um, it has to be the ripple effects. So here's me just having lunch at the desk because I do have a private practice still here in Central Oregon. Here's me sitting at the desk just quietly eating my lunch because like a human being, like any other human being, I need some fuel too. 
And out comes the massage therapist, a great, a graduate of mine. And the lady who's checking out, she's just in tears. She's in tears of joy because 20 years of jaw pain in one visit is now gone. And she's just so profuse. And thank you. I can't thank you enough to this to the massage therapist. She has no idea who I am. She has no idea that I was the person that developed the work that has now changed her life. And it just makes my heart sing. So I know there will be thousands and thousands of patients that I don't even know the names of that get the benefit of this work and can go back to being their best mom, their best dad, their best nurse, their best doctor, because they don't have back pain. They don't have knee pain. Pain makes us grouchy. It makes us bad moms. It makes us bad wives. It makes us bad employees and bosses. When we hurt our world hurts. Our lives suffer as a result of that. And so that uh, excitement of spreading the work uh, in and of itself makes it all worth it. So have you had to, to learn or create a whole different approach to the, to the sales and marketing thing with, the, with getting this course out there, this methodology out there? Or were you able to apply some of the same principles you did in growing your practice? Yeah. So uh, great question. Um, because when we have a product that is so, what we'll say unique or new to market, um, there is a great, uh, sort of untested, uh, uh, credibility concern that comes up. So, um, all the students that I have, um, have had up until now, they have experienced the work personally, and that's why they decided to take the coursework. So when I travel to go cultivate a learning pod, um, this is quite different than uh, I'm not selling selling fingernail clippers, right? Everyone knows what a fingernail clipper is. There might be different brands. Some might work better than others, but you understand what it is and what it's for. So symptom evolution, because again, the work and the result is almost unbelievable. So when I go and do a demonstration with a learning pod of practitioners who are interested in the work, I have them give me uh, set up for in a weekend, two, three uh, patients that I would call a treatment failures, right? Where they're coming in for the same thing. Everyone's scratching their head and no one can figure it out. And almost wordlessly, I just go to work and it takes me about two to three hours and the patient gets off the table and they say, my hip, 20 years of hip pain, it's gone. And that's when people really get curious. So in that regard, um, entering the town square that is social media marketing, so on and so forth, um, I can uh, use words, words, words all day long to uh, trumpet the benefits and trying to explain what symptom evolution is. But at this stage, seeing really is believing. So um, in that regard, my product, so to speak, it's inner intellectual property. So it's a bit abstract, uh, being a non-tangible product already, but it's even more abstract because it's revolutionary. So that little uh, piece of it, as you can imagine, I have a very multi-pronged approach. You got to get really creative. So yes, social media marketing is one thing, but I also have to build up my authority ship, so to speak. So I'm doing podcasts like these, um, spreading the word, uh, having a long format uh, sort of a tome or, or body of work, it's called. So when people pop onto social media, they might get really curious about some Instagram videos that I posted or TikTok videos. They'll go to my website up there and they can read some longer form at blogs or some go to some links of the podcast. So when somebody's already opened the crack in the door, um, it's not more uh, 
Instagram posts or social media posts that really uh, create what we call conversion, right? Where somebody's interested, but what makes the difference between someone who clicks on a website versus click buy and opens up their wallet, right? So as a business owner, I've had some really um, interesting quandaries that are unique to what I do. Again, very different than selling fingernail clippers, right? You just got to seal the deal with your manufacturers and then bring that baby to market with some, some, you know, jazzy marketing, that kind of thing. This is quite a bit different. And again, having a multi-pronged approach and really looking to create the credibility and the authority ship is a big, big, big part of uh, when somebody like me has uh, some intellectual property that's pretty revolutionary and they're onto something, that uh, piece of it makes it I guess like a puzzle, but that in and of itself is pretty fun too. Well, you, and you're the kind of person who celebrates challenges. I can, I, I can see that <laughs> as you continue to sort of build out this, uh, this tribe and you're building your, your <laughs> business, uh, what counsel, if any, would you have to offer in terms of, I don't know, keeping people as inspired and as, as, uh, enthusiastic as, as you are about this and, and celebrating the challenge and celebrating the, the, the wins. Cause obviously you've, you've clear, you've cracked the code on that, haven't you? So that's, so what you're really hearkening to is um, mindset. So, yeah. uh, yeah. And, and for all of us, and it doesn't matter if you're a business owner or an entrepreneur or not, or if you're just a middleman selling finger, fingernail clippers and looking how to uh, uh, lateralize and maximize uh, your business or you're focusing on margins, et cetera, or you're somebody that uh, is kind of a, uh, an industry innovator or what have you, you can be a mom, you could be a dad, you could be a boss. All of those avenues invariably present us with challenges. And when we look at a challenge as a barrier, you'll never jump over it. You'll never, you won't even try. You're defeated before you begin. And the opposite of fear is curiosity. So I knew instead of being afraid, no one's going to believe me. Instead of that, I got curious. How can I get people to trust what I'm saying? What have other people done? And when we get curious and we learn from those who've gone before us, sometimes that means throwing out the book that's uh, that everyone else is reading, right? Sometimes you just sometimes <laughs> you have to reinvent the wheel, right? Yeah. And go go with your gut. Um, but I don't think that I need to waste three to five years um, chasing my tail or doing it the hard way. And that has a lot to do with what we believe. So if, for example, in parenting or an employee employer relationship, the boss that yells at his employee, he's just out of ideas, right? He just doesn't have another tool in his belt. The number one guidepost for me is if I ever feel uncomfortable, and that can be bored, lonely, frustrated, angry, uh, uh, afraid, whatever it is. If I ever feel uncomfortable, all that means, it doesn't mean that something has gone wrong, but it does mean that I need a tool that I don't currently have. And that's where curiosity comes in. It's like, well, feeling really frustrated about that technologic platform. <laughs> How can I make this fun? Right? How can I turn this into a game? And the love of learning is so far outweighs my fear of looking stupid or getting it wrong. That right there, there's no such thing as a barrier for me. Everything is an opportunity to learn. I just had a patient coming in today in tears because she was in so much pain. I'd seen her twice. She was great. 
And then all of a sudden, pain out of nowhere. And she says, I feel like I'm going backwards. So we had that conversation and we both got curious. I just learned how to recognize congenital stenosis in a 19-year-old. Who would have thunk it, right? (laughs) So instead of getting afraid, oh, I've done something wrong. I've made this patient unhappy. I've lost a customer. I was like, what's this about? And every time curiosity turns that barrier into a stepping stone or a springboard. It's amazing. Well, it makes perfect sense to me that the most powerful lever in this this movement, if if you will, is educating, inspiring practitioners. Is there any room in, in this pursuit to equip the patient to somehow make it easier uh, to help create a symptom evolution climate in the in the conversation in in the room? Is there anything uh-huh. you can do from the patient side? Yeah. So think about, let's, let's, let's look at a, a, a different field. For example, think about the therapist that works with somebody for 30 years, like a talk therapist, a psychologist. Yeah. I would question your methodology, right? Why do you need to keep seeing them? Because <laughs> the huge part of the, the psychiatry field, et cetera, is to give tools, is to teach self-sufficiency, right? To teach people to fish, not to give them the fish, right? Not to create that reliance. And that in and of itself is embedded in sort of the inherent flaws in the framework of how our, how our United States healthcare is structured because we incentivize quantity of care because it's the far most profitable thing to do. It's very extractive, right? You make a lot of money when somebody needs you over and over and over, right? So um, a big part of how a patient can get the most out of the care that they do have available to them. And again, I'm not disparaging my very talented colleagues in all flavors. I do refer out for drugs and surgery. I do refer out for physical therapy. We all have our own gifts to bring. But the patient um, who might be listening to this or somebody who owns a human body, (laughs) everyone, um, to get the most out of the care that you are able to access um, is, again, get curious. I was like, well, you're saying such and such. What happens if I uh, uh, add some foam rolling into the mix? Or, you know, doc, I like what you're saying and I'm definitely feeling better. um, And I understand the course of care that you're recommending. What are my other options? What can I do? Is there anything that I can do that would affect this? Or um, when somebody um, isn't getting the uh, effectiveness out of the care that they believe is possible, it doesn't mean that you're rejected that practitioner as a person but it may not be the right key for your lock. Don't kid yourself. It's like, well, you know, I've seen you five times and it's helping, but my issue keeps coming back. I want to do some digging. I want to go look around. The patient that gets curious, um, both with uh, whether they stick with the form of care they're in or they look around or they do some research on their own. um, The patient that gets curious is always going to have a much, much, much uh, better outcome and a faster outcome, right? Better results in less time. And it's just because your um it's based on our each of our individual willingness to do as much as we can where we can you have so much going on and so much to to do uh, and you seem to be up for it from an energy standpoint and i know i mean you're human you got to sometimes run your tank's got to run low occasionally when that does happen where do you go and i don't I don't necessarily mean a physical place, but to, to, to get inspired and sort of recharge. Where, where do you go for that? How, how do you do that? Oh, that's a great question. So um, the, the 
the not so mythical beast of work-life balance, right? <laughs> so even though my work juices me to the max, I am absolutely, I know with every fiber of my being, this is what I've been put on this earth to do. I like to do other things too. So um, most of the time, it's simply a matter of scheduling. It's a matter of self-compassion when I let something fall through the cracks or if I drop a ball, it means I've got too many balls and I need to re mm. recalibrate what's going on. So again, just like with the physical body, when we're asking somebody about their knee pain, et cetera, there's things that somebody's knee pain behavior means it doesn't mean just because someone has knee pain doesn't mean they have knee cancer. That's not what that means. Similarly, if I'm overworked, fatigued, tired, resentful, it doesn't mean something's gone wrong, but it does mean something's out of balance. And sometimes the tool that I need to recalibrate is how well I manage my time. Other times it might be how well I can delegate or, you know, I thought I needed to do this, but I think my assistant can take care of that. Sometimes it's releasing all, all of our first and worst vice, the illusion of control. <laughs> Sometimes things just aren't up to us. And to be able to admit that, because when we drop a ball, it doesn't mean that we're a bad person and we suck at our jobs or we should just give up now. Oh, you idiot. I don't let those, um, those kinds of voices, they don't even get to enter into my brain. I have long since, since kicked them out of my court. And it's simply because it doesn't get me anywhere, you know, uh, uh, berating yourself for a perceived mistake, et cetera, never moves the needle forward. You just, it's a blind alley. It just leads to a waiting place where you go nowhere and you do nothing. So when I run out of juice, oh, I do all kinds of things. I go weightlifting, I raft, I hang out with my kids. I read books that don't matter. <laughs> that. And every day might be a little bit something different. Some days I, I don't get as much, you know, me time as possible. Um, but it is really important that if I'm uncomfortable, something's out of balance and it doesn't have to be that way. Like I'm not secretly a Marine where I just think, you know, the more, the, the harder, the better. I don't believe in that. I don't believe that struggle is the define the, the definition of success, right? I don't think that I, I know that we can all do hard things but we don't have to do them the hardest way. I am so glad that I asked. I found all of that to be incredibly helpful counsel, but what I wrote down in my notebook was read books that don't matter. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I try to rotate them. So sometimes I'll, you know, I read uh, a book about mindset or social media marketing or, you know, I have that in there. Right now I'm reading The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. Whoever you are out there, <laughs> thank you for this book. Um, another super fun one I like to double dip. If you haven't read You're a Badass by Jen Sincero, huh. caution, she swears a lot. It is hysterical and it will, it is just a game changer. And the magic of, of, um, whether it's what we'll say books that don't matter or books that do matter, or, you know, if, is this, right. am I, do I think I need to get something out of this or is this just going to be what it's going to be? Thoughtful digestion of whatever's presented, even if there's only a little speck of gold in there, you can turn it into a fountain by letting it affect you giving it some meaningful digestion, absorbing what's useful, and letting the rest go. Well said. All right, so what's next? And when I say next, I'm really talking about short horizon, I don't know, maybe six to, to 18 months. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, what's next? Again, the the cultivating learning pods to make uh, symptom evolution 
um, uh, a modality that's available in uh, as many places as possible. Um, and then um, refining the uh, refining, you know, my third to second elevator speech, right? We can always be better. I don't remember who said this. Was it Abraham Lincoln? He said, if you, if you ask me to write a speech that's an hour long, eh, it'll take me a day. If you ask me to write something that's two sentences, that'll take me three months. Mm, yeah. Right? <laughs> like to, to be really, really concise in, right. in my ideas and my beliefs. And just like symptom evolution as a methodology, faster results in less time. That goes for myself too. And not because I'm running out of time. Everything that I have is enough. The 16 to 18 month window is enough to start to see um, the change that I know is possible in this world. And again, the vehicle that I'm choosing to use is uh, uh, via healthcare innovation, but this is available to us all. And I'd invite everyone think different, think lateral, think upside down. All right. Let's make sure that our listeners uh, have an easy way to tap into your work, maybe connect with you or someone on your team uh, yeah. Whatever's appropriate. I just want to make sure that that we give them an easy path to 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 continue this conversation and, and this pursuit. Yeah. So for my social media platforms, all of my handles are the same, and it's at Symptom Evo. Uh, and you can also visit my formal website, SymptomEvo.com, and there is a contact form you can get directly to me. I don't have a CEO yet, so when you write an email on the contact list, it goes right to me, and I respond <laughs> very promptly. Well, Anne, it has been an absolute delight having you on the show this afternoon. Thank you for sharing your insight, your perspective, and mostly your energy. I just, I have had the best time visiting with you, and I, I you're doing such important work, and, and we sincerely appreciate you. Oh, so are you, Stone. Like, hats off to you. You're just elevating and celebrating everyone. And I think it's marvelous. Don't stop. <laughs> well, thank you. I'll try not to. And it's been my pleasure. All right. Until next time, this is Stone Payton for our guest today, Ann Griffin with Symptom Evolution, and everyone here at the Business Radio X family saying we'll see you in the fast lane.